I uh, um um I feel I feel a little fired up today. I have no idea. I was not feeling this way, but the more I'm talking, the more fired up I get. So uh, I'm just excited, and I mean that sincerely. I'm excited for one reason. I'm excited because I know what Jesus Christ is able to do in your life. I, I mean that. I don't say that as a like a uh, you know some. You know, I'm I, I, so, I look. Be honest with you. Sometimes preachers are more like used car salesmen. I get it. I'm trust me. I wa I go on YouTube. I watch. I, I I I'm not numb to it. I don't. I'm not blind to it. I see it. And so, uh, I don't. I, I don't want to share with you today. I'm not trying to sell you a 1981 Ford with 162 million miles on it and tell you how wonderful it is. Uh, I I want to share with you today, Jesus Christ. And I really more than that. I want to talk to you today. I don't have any scripture. Um, I don't have anything to share with you scripture wise. So for those of you that need scripture for authenticity, uh, Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, um, God created the heaven and the earth. So we got that out of the way in case you need scripture. I don't, I don't really want to just talk a scripture today because um, when, when you look at the word of God, and I look at the word of God, um, there's some misconceptions we can have about God's word. And that is this. We look at the Bible and we can say, well, it's a book of theology. Uh, theology, meaning the study of God. Um, we say it's a book of theology. And, and to a degree, is there theological concepts and understanding in the Word of God? Absolutely. And then some say, well, it's not necessarily just theology, but there's also uh, methodology in the Bible. And the Bible is very, the Bible's a very practical book. Um, the Bible is not a book that breaks it down step by step for a lot of it, but the Bible is a book of principles that are uh, able, because you know what, you know, we live in a very modern world, 2020, our world is very modern, very advanced. And when you read the word of God, uh, they didn't have electricity, they didn't have internet, they didn't have phones, they didn't have all the stuff that we enjoy now. They didn't have automobiles, planes, trains, all that kind of stuff. They're very, there was, it was still an ancient world. We're a very modern world. But the fact about it is, is that the people in the Bible were just as human as you and I are. In fact, I come across this really cool, I'm a, I'm a history archaeology junkie. Um, it's just one of my little hobby passions. And I love archaeology. I love history. I like just digging through it, watching. I mean, I guarantee you. Lord knows, I don't even want to tell you how many documentaries I've probably watched over my lifetime. And one of the things that's really cool, I came across this documentary not too long ago. After, I mean, you think by now all the ancient secrets of the world have been revealed. And it was a, it was a, it was a documentary shot last year of some Egyptologists opening up a brand new tombs or they discovered brand new never before seen tombs that date back three thirty five hundred thirty five hundred years ago that were sealed sometime around 12 13 1400 bc that now are being opened for the very first time i mean that's just fascinating i know some of you are like well you're a big deal it's fascinating to me that you can be able to step back into something so long ago and um and you can see their life. And what was really cool is um, is they had a, um, 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 oh, what was, oh, the, the it, it escapes me. The the people that uh, study bones, um, not paleontologists, is not a that study dinosaurs. Uh, whatever. I, the person who studies bones, I know someone is probably screaming it out at the screen or typing it on Facebook. I don't know what it is. I forgot. But the person who studies uh, studies bones and looks at bones and is able to uh, put together pieces. And they brought, they found these skeletons um, buried. They were not mummified. They were skeletons in this tomb that dates back almost 3,500 years ago. And um, they uh, they brought the this the the, the bone doctor in. Uh, I know it's not a bone doctor, but I'm just I can't. The name is escaping me. They bought the bone doctor in, and they laid out all the bones, and she began to study the bones and was telling the story of this person's life through the bones. And she said, I can tell if they were depressed, sad, happy, 
good. I can tell all this by reading the bones. One of the cool things was she discovered that on one of the mandibles, the jawbone of one of the skeletons, there was a, uh, there was scarring and protrusion. The bone had changed because they had had some kind of abscess or infection in their mouth. And then she looked at other parts of the bones and one of the, one of the, 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 the hip joint and going down to the knee, uh, in, in those two joints, um, it was shaping in a way that as she put the bones back together again, she realized that this person had a, a, had their right leg was slightly turned in. And then they began to look at other things with the bones and discovered that this person was battling with some with uh, with certain diseases. They were, uh, I believe it was, they, they kind of, they had uh, uh, some kind of anemia, whatever it was, and they went through all of this. They are telling all this by the bones. It was really cool for me, and I'm getting to a point here for a moment, not trying to give you an Egypt, uh, a lesson on ancient Egypt. But what's really cool is here's someone that lived 3,500 years before me. 3,500 years before me. And what was also cool is that they were buried with their family. It was a, it was a, a, a father, a wife, uh, his mother, and the four children. They were all buried together in the same tomb. And what was amazing to me about all this was is that as they began to break down the bones and of each individual and what each individual some of the differences in each one of them and what they had and sort of the way they, they became more and more human. They became more and more, I became more and more connected to their story because I could relate to a lot of the issues that they were going through. When I read the word of God, I'm not reading a, you know, I'm not reading a novel. I'm not reading a tale that's been scripted out of the halls of Hollywood. I'm reading about the word of God and it's talking about real people. And these real people were just as human as you and I were. And the reason that's important is because when I read the Bible, I can't relate to living in a tent in the middle of the desert, uh, 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 i.e. Abraham or Isaac or Jacob. I can't identify what's what it's like to walk the hall, the the streets of ancient Jerusalem under Roman rule. I can't identify what it was like to sail on the Mediterranean Sea in a storm like Paul. I, I can't identify what it was like to stand in the places uh, like Peter did. I can't identify with them in that standpoint. But I can identify with their humanity. I can identify with the way they were in from the human standpoint. And so when I see how God operates the Bible is a very practical book because I can relate to the human aspect of these individuals and therefore I can see the principles by which God operates. So yes, the Bible is a book of theology and the Bible is a book of methodology. Both of those are correct. But the Bible is beyond that. Because the Bible is not just a book of theology, the study of God. It's not a book of just methodology, meaning the practical aspects of God. But it's a book about the identity of God. In fact, the Bible clearly gives us in the first uh, book, the first book of the Gospel of John, it makes this statement: "In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God." So when I look at the Bible, the Bible is giving me the identity of God, the reality of God, the realness of God. It's a beautiful thing. But the problem with that is this is that because I am human, I'm not divine, I'm not, I haven't, I haven't uh, descended from some kind of uh, ancient deity that I am, uh, that I have, that, uh, that, uh, that uh, uh, um, I am as human as you are, I am as, I am as much of a creature of flesh as anyone that's ever lived, it's impossible for me to look at the Word of God without looking through the image of my own experiences. Let me give you an example for that because if you're somebody that's gone through a lot of you, if you have, and I'm going to get a little real for a second here, and I don't mean this to be make anyone, excuse me, feel uncomfortable, but. Uh, Let's talk real, okay? We're, we're just chatting here today. So we're going to talk real for a moment before, before we get into some more uh, uh, deeper things. Some of you have had wonderful childhoods, but others of you didn't. Uh, I was talking to an individual the other day, and um, we were 
chatting about their life. And um, um, he made the statement. He made the statement that he grew up with a very abusive father. And I asked the statement to him. I said, what's your earliest memory of abuse? And I was just blown away. Because he said the earliest uh, memory of abuse he had was, he was when he was four years old. He's now uh, uh, a grown man, well into his 50s. But now he can still trace back some things to four years old. Some of you have had similar experiences, or maybe it wasn't abuse, but maybe it was hurt, maybe it was pain, maybe it was you had a very authoritarian uh, parent, you had maybe someone in your life, others, you have all this, uh, you know, you had a lot of disappointment, pain, problems, whatever it is. So these things shape our perspective, they shape our, uh, our identity, they shape how we see the world. The problem with that is, is that we take that same framework and we take that into the word of God. So the problem is, is I can't see the true identity of God because I, I see God the way I see everybody else. If I had a father or, or, or a mother or someone that would, that, that wasn't very loving, if I see, if I had someone that in my life, like a parent, and I've heard, I've heard people say this before. I've, I've talked to people before. Maybe you're one of those people that said, you know what? My parents, my, my dad never said, I love you. I don't ever remember my mom saying, I love you. I, ne I, I never remember my parents hugging me. I, I don't ever remember any kind of affection that my parents showed to me. When you come to God, you come to God and you, Take that same approach to God and you don't see God as affectionate or loving. Or if you had a parent or you had people in your life that was very harsh and authoritarian and just came down with a hammer every time you made a mistake, you take that same approach with God. You see God as a judge. You see God with a, a gavel in his hand ready to strike down and bring, the, uh, bring a conviction of judgment upon you every time you make a mistake. And so because of these lenses of our world and the lenses of our life, we take the same approach to God and we see God through that same framework. And so some of us feel like God's so distant or God's so disconnected or God doesn't understand where I'm at or God doesn't see where I'm at or God doesn't see the reality of what I'm going through because you have had taken the experience of being abandoned or hurt or you didn't have parents that, that were the best, best example of what a true parent should be because of their own, and they may have done it because that's what was done to them. And this has been passed down from generation to generation. And I don't believe anybody starts off to be a bad parent. I don't know anybody has a child and looks at that little infant and goes, you know what? Boy, I, I, I really like to just mess them up. I'd really like to just, I'd really like to mess up their world. Let me see if I can. No, no, most parents aren't like that. But most parents are dealing with their own struggles that were passed on from them and passed down from them. And you can trace these things back generation and generation. And so because of that, we bring all of this to the to bear when we come to God. We bring all of these thoughts and understandings and processes and, and ideologies to bear when it comes to God. And so when we read things, especially stuff like things that are in the Old Testament of the way God operates, and we see sort of this different approach to God, or we see other parts and other pieces of Scripture, it's kind of like, man, you know, I, I don't know. I, this, this God that I'm that, that says it's love and kindness and all this, I, I'm not seeing it. And others are going, but he loves you. And you're like, yeah, I don't, I don't see it. I don't see it. I, I don't see God as a loving. I see God with a hammer. I see God with a, with, I see God with the stern, you know, sort of, you know, you don't look at God going with a smile with an open arms. Welcome you. You see God with the stern crossed look with his arms folded, looking down at you going, Okay, are you ever going to get it right or are you just continue to mess it up? That's sort of the approach, right? And even when we come to God, for some of us that have been around for a while, when we come to God, we don't come to a heavenly father. We come to a lord and dictator as if God is sitting there waiting to go, come bow before me, subject. This is how we operate. And because of this, we struggle with getting to know God. We struggle with knowing him. 
We struggle with finding his true identity. We struggle with connecting with him. And when we do connect with him, it's very clunky. It's, it doesn't feel genuine. It doesn't feel authentic. It doesn't feel like this amazing experience. It almost feels like we're being compressed into this vice. And, and then man's answer to all of this. Man saw the problem and man said, okay, there's a problem. So man, instead of pointing people back to God and letting God be the author and the finisher of the faith, man made this mechanism called religion. And religion tries to define God and tries to bring the theology and the methodology to bear in the identity of God and tries to put God within the framework. And so because of that, then we begin to tie God to a location. We begin, to, we begin to see God not through the lens of he's here, where I'm at, whether that's in your living room, your dorm room, your bedroom, or your car, or wherever you're watching today. We don't see God for where he's at right now. We see God tied to a location. And therefore, if I want, I woke up this morning and I'm going through stuff in my life, I've got a choice. If I want God's help, I've got to get up, get dressed, and go find somewhere where God is. And the reality of it is that God is right there sitting on my bed when I wake up. I had an awesome thing last week. And he knows who he is, so I won't call him out. But I had an awesome testimony of a great friend of my wife and I. And God's doing some awesome stuff in his life. And he texted me last week. And he said, you know what? It was an awesome experience. He watched last Sunday and he, he said it was an awesome experience because I got to see and feel God and the reality of God sitting in my dining room. Watching in a dining room. And he said, I got to feel the experience and, and, and the presence of God. Yes, that's exactly what it's like. I'm sitting here. I call it the Antioch West Studios. I'm going to give you a secret. It's my basement. If you could see what's going on around here that you can't see on camera, this is the basement. Just right on the other side is a couch, and my lovely wife is sitting there looking at me. Hey, Kate, how you doing? <laughs> this is the reality of it. So, honestly, you could show up today knocking on my door saying, Hey, I got to find Jesus. Is he here? You could come sit down, but I got to be honest with you, you'd be very disappointed. You'd be very disappointed because when you see what happens off the camera, you'd be like, wow, this is, this is rough. I mean, this has got table here with all kinds of wires and buttons and stuff. And, um, you know, I've got, I mean, just, it's a, it's, it's, it's a, it's a treat. Well, maybe one day we'll have to show you the other side of the camera. I said all that to say, because we look at God within the framework of having to find where he's at, but we miss the fact that he's right where we are. I'm going to say that one more time. We miss the fact we think we've got to go find where God's at, that we miss the beauty of who Jesus Christ is, that he is where we are. So we've got this book, right? We've got this, we've got this book that's supposed to be the word of God, that's supposed to be not just the word of God, because it's not just a book, right? The Bible's not just a book. The Bible's not just some story or some scripted manuscript that happened to to withstand the test of time and somehow has landed in our laps. But the Bible is truly his word. In fact, the Bible says that. We already said that. John chapter 1. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. And the word was God. And later on in verse 14, it says the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So we know that the word of God is bigger than just words on a page. We also, we understand today that it's bigger than theology, it's bigger than methodology, but it speaks, speaks to the identity of Jesus, identity of who God is. But the problem is this, even that is so big, so vast. Because when you read the Word of God, uh, for 62 of the books, in case you're wondering, there's 66 books in the Bible, 66. For 62 of those books, the image of God we get is still the image of God on high, looking down on us who are left on this earth. And so when we pray, we look up because we are, 
We are conditioned to believe that's where God lives, that God lives somewhere up here. So when we pray, we lift our head to the heavens because we want to talk up to God as if he's somewhere far off in the distant blue yonder, beyond the scope of time and space, way beyond the darkness of time and universe, that God somehow abides there. And that if we seek and reach far enough, we can pull down God into our world. And so when we even come to God, we come to God with the identity that God is somehow there and we're here. And if you read the 62 books of the Bible, you can get that kind of understanding that he is. But there's these four beautiful books in the Bible. We call them the Gospels. They're Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. These four books are beautiful because these four books tell the story and the reality that this God, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent God, came down, robed himself in flesh, humbled himself, became like a man, and dwelt among us. And so, if we really want to know the identity of God, and who God is, and what he means to you and I today, and how God relates to where we are today, we need to look no further than Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and the story and the description of how Jesus Christ lived out his life. Because this is how God relates. And so with that being said, I woke up this morning and I was, I was, I was challenged in I'll use a, a I'll use a word that sounds dramatic, but it's 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 a good word for the moment. I was burdened because I know there are some of you that are watching, maybe for the first time, but maybe you come on every week and you stay incognito. But I was challenged because it's it's my passion and my desire to convey to you the reality of Jesus Christ. I don't want to sell you a church. I don't want to sell you a theology. I don't want to sell you a methodology. I want to sell you Jesus and who Jesus is. And I don't want to sell it to you. I want you to experience. I want you to have an encounter with God. So when I come on here on Sundays, I'm not coming here to promote a church. I said, it. I, you know, I, 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 um, we were in a situation yesterday, my wife and I, and we were talking to some people and we were connecting with them. And they said, hey, we'd love to come visit your church. Where is it? And we kind of, sheepishly we're like well facebook youtube that's where we are uh we don't really have any place so i can't even sell you anything today i can't even tell you where to come i can't even have an opportunity to say hey you want to experience and encounter god come here can't do that so it's my passion and my desire that you not come to god but that i that you realize that god is already standing next to you but the reality of it is this. We're going, you, you, a lot of you are going through stuff. Stuff, dark places, struggles, hurt, pain, difficulty, depression, frustration, suicides running rampant, addictions are running rampant, hopelessness, loneliness, all these descriptive words that we use to try to convey the emotions of our heart and life are just overwhelming. So I got up this morning early and as usually uh, that is that is sort of the way I operate is that when I come here on Sunday morning it is my, 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 not my desire to deliver a sermon. I don't want to deliver a sermon. Sermons are, are words from a man. I don't want to give you a sermon. I come to here on Sunday mornings with the desire to speak what God puts in my heart, whether it's just sitting here uh, conveying to you some things or it's going through scripture and sharing with you the word of God. Whatever God has, that's my desire. And if it's for everybody or just for one person, ultimately, it's my desire to speak. So I, I, I seek God and ask God to speak what he wants to speak when I come on here. I'm not interested in monopolizing your time. I'm not interested in coming and trying to entertain you for an hour. 
uh, I'm not interested in coming on here and just giving you a few little cute little sayings or some tweetable words or some Facebook posts that you can share with your followers. Uh, I want to try to to bring to you God's word, his thoughts, his voice, so that he can speak to the reality of your life. So I, I got up this morning and I was praying and I was talking to Jesus and I was, I was expressing all of this. And I said to these... Um, I said to God this morning and I said, you know, God, you see where everybody's at already. You know what we're going through. You know the difficulties. You know it. You know everything about us. And I said, Lord, how do I convey your, 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 your reality today? How can I convey? How can I, can I, how can I connect and bring the reality to those that are watching today that need to know not theology. They need to know not methodology. They need to know the reality of you. They don't need to know the church Jesus or the religious Jesus. They need to know the real Jesus, the authentic Jesus. How can I convey your authenticity? How can I convey, how can I convey your realness? Not your, not the religious side. Not to put Jesus in this pretty little package and make him look all wonderful and beautiful and scripted. And, oh, some kind of stuck on the wall. We can all go, oh, he's holy. He's amazing. Is God holy? Yes, all that. I'm not making fun of that. I'm talking about the fact, how can, how God can I convey the reality of who you are and your realness? Because I know you're real. You've been real to me. How can I show you're real to those that are watching that need to know you're real? They don't need to know the, the theology and the methodology of Scripture. They need to know the reality of your presence, the realness of who you are. How can I? And I'm asking God this. And the Lord spoke back to me this. He said to me this. He said, I had dirty feet. I had dirty feet. Now, I got to be honest with you. When God tells you he has dirty feet, it takes you a moment to go, huh? Not exactly the words you would expect God to convey back to you when you're asking God for this thought, this, 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 how can I convey? And you, God comes back and says, yeah, I had dirty feet. Okay. But immediately once he said that, I knew exactly, took me about a, uh, about a half second to go through, scan through my mind, and I knew exactly what he meant by that. And it actually goes back to something I talked last week. If you didn't watch last week, I talked about this woman who comes into a house where Jesus was, and uh, it's a very beautiful moment. Because she falls down at Jesus' feet and she begins to weep. And she washes his feet with her tears. And he, she dries it with her hair. And then she breaks open this box called an alabaster box. And this beautiful, wonderful, expensive, priceless fragrance is explodes into the room. And she takes that and she anoints his feet. It's this beautiful moment. I went through last week all the interaction there. But Jesus turned to the people in the room and one particular man called Simon. And he made this statement. He said, Simon, when I came in here, you didn't even offer me water to wash my feet. And immediately when the Lord spoke that to me this morning, he said, I had dirty feet. That's what he took me back to. Now, I know there was some ceremony. I know some of you theological thinkers out there will give me and break down the 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 the, the ritual, the religious understanding of what it meant to wash feet. I get that. Okay? I've studied it. I know it. I don't need you to explain it to me. I'm not talking about the ceremonial part of washing. I'm talking about the practicalness of here is Jesus Christ, God, robed in flesh, walking into a house with dirty feet. Why is that important? Why sitting here in 2020, November 8, 2020, at 10.48 p.m., or a.m., not p.m., 10.48 why is the fact that Jesus Christ had dirty feet important to me? Because here's why. Here's what it tell, tells me. That Jesus Christ, when he came, and he showed the expression of the real 
reality of who God is. He did not come and hover above the ground. He did not float off the ground because he was he didn't want to come in contact with our world. And so he floated above, sweeping through, sort of like this 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 roving, wandering deity that he set above and high above so that all could worship and magnify and see him and see his greatness. But yet he didn't want to come down and be contaminated by getting into our world. But the great thing about Jesus Christ is he walked the same streets, stepped in the same puddles, walked around the same dirt and mess as everybody else because he wanted to show I'm connected to your world. You know what's funny? And I know this is a little, I, I want to I get a little descriptive here, not because I, I want to just want to paint the picture. I'm going to paint a good picture for you. One thing that the Bible cannot convey to us in all of its beauty, and you can go read the pages. I'm a big study of biblical culture. I love digging through biblical culture. I dig through the Romans and the Greeks and, and what it was like to live in Jerusalem and what did the houses look like and what did the homes look like? What did the streets look like? Where did they shop? Where did they go eat? I, I love that stuff. It just fascinates me. But one thing you cannot convey, and that is the smell of the time. Can't convey it. Do you know that one of the cleaning agents that they used to clean their garments was urine. Go read it. The properties within urine allowed them to be able to clean. If you went and wanted to get your garments cleaned, you would soak it in urine. And there were some different dyes and colors that they would use to dye certain uh, garments, uh, certain pigments that the soaking them, pre-soaking them in urine would uh, cause this, um, would cause the, the, the color to bond better to the fabric. I said all that to say, there was some, they, they didn't smell so good. And on top of that, again, I'm just painting a picture here for you for a second. On top of that, you had, you didn't have cars. Smog was not their problem. They had another problem. They had animal waste everywhere. The streets. In fact, in fact, you know, back in the uh, back about a hundred years ago, one hundred twenty years ago, somewhere like that, in the New York City, that there is estimates that parts of the city were one to three foot above the roadbed. That the road was here, but in parts of the city, it was one to three feet taller, the surface by which you walked on. This is in New York City. This is not that long ago. This was a hundred and so years ago in New York City that the surface, about a hundred and probably 120 years ago in the late, in the 1800s, that the surface of the road was here, but it was usually a foot to three feet above that. You know why? Because all of the animal waste had created a higher roadbed. So when you walked around, you were walking on, yeah, you know what? I don't have to fill in the blank. So the reality of this of Jesus is the fact that, that when he's walking the streets, he's not walking on a little dusty path. But Jesus is walking and he's walking around animal waste and stink and nastiness and smells. And then, oh, by the way, they did not have plumbing. These were primitive places. You had this thing called a chamber pot that if you needed to use the restroom in the middle of the night, use the chamber pot. Guess what you did in the morning when you got... Done. You took your chamber pot. You didn't take it down to the local sewer and have it processed. You know what you did? You took the chamber pot and you went to the road and you went. Why do I, what's that important? The importance of it is this, that Jesus Christ did not rise above all this and walk around and hover all above this because, oh, I can't touch the filth and stink of all of this. That he walked the same smelly, nasty, dirty streets as everybody else. That Jesus had dirty feet. And when God spoke that to me today, he said, I had dirty feet. All of a sudden I realized something. Wait a minute. That God, when he came to this earth, he wanted to convey how he sees us and how he feels about us. And one of the ways he did that was he walked the same streets and same paths and same back alleys and same roads as you and I to the fact when he got into a house, he had to get his feet clean because his feet were covered with stuff. 
Not that he was so distant and so far off that he didn't know how how we felt and how well you 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 just you lowly humans. I am God. No, he showed the fact and the reality of where we are and walked the same streets as you and I as they walked. And on top of that, when he went to share the principles of heaven, he did not share principles through a theological method. He told stories. They call them parables. But he told stories. And the stories were relevant to things of that time period. He told stories about a father with two sons. He told stories about a widow woman. He told stories about a farmer. He told stories about uh, about a man hiring laborers for a day. He told all these stories that were relevant about them and understood not only do I walk the streets but I know what's going on I know how you live I know what you're going through why? because that's the reality and the realness of Jesus Christ he's not somebody that's so far off and detached from our reality that right now wherever you're sitting as the tears flow down your face because you look and you go does anybody know what I'm going through does anybody care does anybody see me you have have a God sitting right next to you whispering in your ear going, I do. And you go, what? No, no, you know he doesn't. God doesn't. Oh, does God really care? Does God really care about me? Does God really know what I'm going through? And Jesus Christ wants me to tell you today, I had dirty feet. I had dirty feet. Do you know why I can say to you with confidence today? Do you know why I can say to you today with boldness, not just out of, out of theory? You know why I can tell you today that wherever you're at today, there's a God who's sitting right next to you and he's whispering in your ear, just give me a chance. Let me show you how much I love you. Talk to me and I'll show you. I can change your life. I can bring you peace and joy and happiness. You know why I can say that? Because Jesus Christ had dirty feet. Now, here's the problem. Here's, you go, okay, all right, well, fine. All right, great, okay, great. I, I know he knows where I'm at. I know what he knows I'm going through. I, I get that. Okay, you established that. Well, if that's the case and he really knows what I'm going through, then I'm really even more frustrated and disappointed than I was before. Because if he knows where I'm at, he knows where I'm going through, then why is he, why is he changing it? What is he not doing something to change it? Why in the world if he's allowing it? Why is he allowing the things that go on? Why is he let that person do that? Or why did he let this happen? Why did he stop that? If you really are telling me the truth and he had dirty feet, then why doesn't he do something about it? Do you know what? Let me, make you help, let me help you feel better for a second. They asked the same questions of Jesus. Two, two women who had just lost their brother came up to him and said, Hey, dude, yo, if you would have been here, you would have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. But because the fact you were off with your little fellows doing something, I don't know what you were doing, probably just walking around because you were walking around doing nothing and we're sitting here suffering our whole life. If you would have been here, our brother wouldn't have died. But the fact that our brother died is your fault because you should have known he was sick and you should have showed up and you should have healed him before he's sick. But because... Because of that, you let us down and now we're dealing with a dead brother and we're looking at you and I'm telling you what, we're not happy. <laughs> and Jesus looked back at them and gave them such a beautiful word. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. You say, well, you know, if God really knew really cared, if he really does have, okay, he does have dirty feet, then why is my life the way it is? They asked the same questions. You know what's amazing? They thought when Jesus showed up, he would unite and bring a, a, a kingdom so that the Roman oppression would be eradicated and they would be free, free, free of all of this. But when Jesus showed up, he didn't kick the Romans out. In fact, he said, you know what? If a Roman asks you to do a one-mile hike, do two miles. Huh? What? You're a fraud. 
Do you not know that these Romans are stealing from us? They're oppressing us. They're keeping us. And you want us to do more for them? Are you out of your mind? Do you not see what they've done? Do you not see they've stripped our freedom? Do you not see they keep us in bondage? And yet you don't want to free us from it? You want us to go in deeper with them? Are you out of your mind? Or better yet, those little 12 fellows he called his disciples, they didn't even always get it. Because one day they're sitting around talking and one of their mothers show up and they're arguing about who's going to be this and who's going to, who can be your secretary of state who can be your who can be your your secretary of defense i want to be your chief of staff oh lord i want to be your vice president they're arguing about who's going to be in his inner circle when he establishes the kingdom and they didn't get it they didn't get it and sometimes i think we are the same way we think okay if god's really it then he's gonna make my life a utopia oh okay he knows where i'm at so, of course, if he knows that, he's going to fix this. And, boy, I can't wait for him to zap that person because they've really done me wrong. But I can't wait till God gets a pull to them and blows them out of the water. That's going to be a great day. And, man, God knew if, if God really did walk, if he really did have dirty feet, then why did I get some hurt and pain and all this? So we ask all these questions. But the reality of this, Jesus did not come to bring his kingdom to us. But Jesus came so that he could lead us into his kingdom. He said, my kingdom is not of this world. Jesus did not come to fix your circumstances. Jesus came to give you peace and joy and contentment in the middle of your circumstances. There's the mist. He did not come to sweep the streets. Oh, hear me, hear me, hear me, hear me, hear me, hear me, hear me. Don't tune me out. I'm almost there. Come on, don't tune me out. Five more minutes. Stay focused. He didn't come and say, hey, listen, here's what we're going to do. I'm not walking around in the dirt anymore. I'm not walking around. I want you, Peter, you, James, you, John, you, Matthew, uh, you, Andrew. Here's what I want you guys to do. Everyone get a broom. We're going to start sweeping because this place is a mess. Let's clean it up. He didn't come up to clean up the world. He said, I've come that in me you might have peace. In this world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. Meaning, in this world you're going to walk on dirty streets, but don't worry, because you are not going to find contentment in cleaning the streets. You're going to find the contentment that even though you're walking in dirt inside, you've got peace and joy and contentment. In fact, when he sat down with this man named Nicodemus and he looked across Nicodemus, he said, if you are born again of water and spirit, you'll be able to see and enter in to the kingdom. Why, if it was an earthly kingdom, do I need to be born again? Because when I'm born again, I go from being naturally minded to spiritually minded to temporally minded to eternally minded i switch kingdoms that even though i'm walking around the dirt in my life still might be there the mess in my life the stink the smell of life may still surround me but in him i can have peace god hasn't come to clean your feet god's come to give you peace and joy and contentment in the middle. And he said that I had dirty feet. Jesus, how many times, every time he walked into a house, the ritual was to have your feet washed. I know this for a fact because when years ago I had the opportunity, I traveled to Pakistan. Pakistan, in a lot of ways, is a very primitive place. In fact, it's still, it, it's Pakistan, especially in the rural areas, has so much culture that reminds me of what I read in scripture. I remember driving into the countryside one day on our way to this village and they were gathering sheaves up with a sickle. And I was like, man, this is like straight out of the Bible. And we went to this village. I mean, this village was in the middle of nowhere. And uh, we were invited uh, to come and to sit at someone's home. And when we walked in, um, they, um, they had a little bowl next to the door. And most of them wore sandals. And so for those that had sandals, they would come and they had a little towel and they would dip it in there and they'd wipe their feet. I had socks and shoes on at the time. I didn't need it. God hasn't come to give you socks and shoes. 
God hasn't come to cover you and isolate you and insulate you from the dirt of this world. We live in this world. We walk the streets. We are a part of it. We are not going to have an immunity pass or some kind of uh, back door where we can live in our holy world. Jesus had dirty feet. Can I tell you, those of you today that are a part of the church family, stop trying to tiptoe around life because your heavenly father, his feet were dirty. When's the last time you got your feet dirty? God's not bound by a location. God's not determined by where you go and find him. Jesus Christ is determined by where you are and he's right there next to you. Standing at the door, knocking. Jesus Christ had dirty feet. Can I tell you this today? If you haven't heard anything I've said the last hour, I believe God wanted me to tell someone today, I know where you are. I know what you're going through. How do you know that, God? Because I had dirty feet. I had dirty feet. I can stand here today, sit here today, and speak with confidence of the reality of Jesus Christ because he had dirty feet. So when I look at you today through this prism of a camera, I don't know where you are. You may be sitting there today in your PJs, drinking your coffee with all the shades shut and not wanting to face the world today. But even in that isolated condition, there's a God that's standing right next to you. Not up there, but right here. You don't have to go, Oh, Heavenly Father, have mercy on me and come down here into my world because, God, it's tough down here and I really could use your help. No, no. He's not there. He's right here. Because he has dirty feet. The same feet that walk the earth and got dirty same God it's right here and not only is he there but he's here but he wants to be here why because I had dirty feet father by your help and grace today I have tried to convey every word you've said I haven't tried to add to or take from but in the reality of it God I don't know Who's watching or who may watch? You said in your word that no one can come to you except the Father draws them. So I pray today that as these words have been spoken that you've given me to say that you would draw. That you, Father, would draw. Would you draw us to you today? Not draw us to a theology not talk, draw us to a methodology, but draw us to the realness of who you are. You had dirty feet. You walked the streets. You got into the life, the circumstances, the situations, just like those that you were talking with, to show us and be an example to the fact that you know where we are, that you walk with us everywhere you go. You see every pain, every hurt, every injustice, every broken place that you know and see and understand. So Lord, I ask today that you would show us your reality. That those of the day that have never had an encounter with you, that you would show to them who you are. And when they ask and call upon you, that they would see you and the reality of who you are and have an encounter with you in their world. Not that they have to go to a specific location to have that, but they can have that encounter with you, whether it's sitting in their room today, in their car, in their living room, at their dining room table, in their kitchen, in their basement, or they're sitting outside in a chair. Wherever they are, they can encounter the reality of who you are because you are not separated by space and time, but you're just as real to us today as you were 2,000 years ago. And your true authenticity is still alive today. 
In Jesus' name, I speak, Father, right now by the authority of the word that your spirit would be manifested, that those that are hungry right now, those that are hurting and broken that are calling out to you, that your spirit would be made manifest into their heart and life today. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I speak it. Let it be done. Show us your reality today. And God, as we call upon you now, that you would tear down the barrier between the natural and the supernatural and that you would show us the reality of who you are. That you're not distant, far off deity that cannot be touched, but you truly are someone who is touched by the feelings of our infirmity and you had dirty feet. I speak these things today that you would be real to us and known to us in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, in the name of Jesus. Why don't you just take a moment, five seconds. I know I've gone a little time here, but just take a few moments if you can and close your eyes. Again, we went over why we close our eyes. is because why focus on me, focus on God. And I want you to ask God. The Bible says to put God to the test. I want you to put God to the test today in your life. And I want you to say to him, God, Show me who you are. Show me the reality of who you are. God, I want to know who you are, not through the mechanism of a church or a theology or methodology. I want to know who you are to me right here, right now. I need you, not tomorrow, next week. I want you to stand firm and bold and say to God, God, I need to know you're real right now. You can't talk to God like that. Well, you know what? You keep your way and I'll try my way because I've seen my way work. Tell God, say, God, I need to know you're real right now. I can't wait to tomorrow. Can't wait to next week. I can't wait. I need to know you're real right now. Show me you're real right now. And God will be, God is waiting, anticipating an opening to show you the reality of his love. To show the reality of his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness. He's showing. He wants to show you. He's not sitting back there going, uh, well, uh, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. Should I? Hmm, I don't know. Should I? I don't. Maybe. Well, I don't. I got a lot of stuff to do today. There's a lot of stuff. A lot of stuff I got to do. I mean, there's. No. God is waiting. He's listening. He's waiting for the invitation. Would you just give God an opportunity today? Just say, God, I need to know the reality of who you are. Show me today. I don't need you next week. I don't need you next month. I don't need you tomorrow. I need you now. You can do that right where you're sitting, right in your living room, right in your bedroom, right in your car, right? I don't care if you're sitting on the roof. I don't care if you're in a tree. Wherever you are, if you'd ask God, he can show you the reality of who he is. If you've never experienced and haven't had a true encounter with God, none of what I've said today makes any sense. But when you've had an encounter with God and he's shown you the reality of who he is, all of a sudden you go, I can see it. And what's even better is when you've had an encounter with God by yourself that you can't say, well, it was because that person said something or that person saying something or I was over here or I went there. It was because, you know what? I was in my room. I was in my house. I was by myself. And God showed me his reality right where I was. God can do that today if you just give him a chance. I'm not inviting you to join a church today. I'm just inviting you. Give God an opportunity to show you his real his real his reality his authenticity and his love if you would just give him a chance do it today give god an opportunity if you do it i promise you i promise you it will be absolutely amazing what god will show you and do today would you do it would you do it give god an opportunity today in Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us today. But don't stop with today. Let God show you his reality. Today, tomorrow, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, 24-7, 365. That's the true reality of who God is. God bless you.